Linda Yu is a fellow in economics at Oxford University, a professor at the London Business School and a visiting professor at Peking University. She's advised the World Bank, the European Commission, the Asian Development Bank and the World Economic Forum in Davos. And she's held non-executive directorships at several major companies. She's a widely published author who's had her own TV shows at Bloomberg and the BBC. With so many different roles, how does she describe herself? I'm an ABC, so I'm an American-British-Chinese. I'm an American-British dual national, but my family are originally from China. So I'm basically American, but I came to Britain years ago. And I see myself, I think, probably um, as quite a global citizen as a result. And I've also, I think, been lucky enough where I've been able to do work that allows me to travel around the world. Um, most academics work pretty much seven days a week because um, you never really have downtime. So on the one hand, you control your schedule, which is um, terrific uh, because you have more freedom than um, in a lot of employment. Um, but on the other hand, the pressure to mm. produce is considerable. And it's a pretty tough, as I say, environment, given that there's lots of really bright people doing research in similar areas. But I had to say, you know, I, I think I do it because I enjoy it. I think it's a real privilege to be able to think, write, publish, um, and share ideas. You also teach, so what makes a good student? Hunger. A student who's hungry for knowledge knows why they're there. That makes for a good student. So I think studying is about effort. It's about um, commitment. Um, it's all the things that um, you associate with, you know, being studious. Mm -hmm. But I think the other element of it is being hungry, hungry to be there, hungry to improve your own knowledge base, not just there to get through the degree, but actually there because you know why you're there and what you want to get out of a particular uh, lecture or a particular course. So to me, um, the most inspiring students are the ones who are really hungry and go above and beyond, not because you suggest they should, but because they know why they're there and they know what they're going to do with um, the knowledge that they gain so that they can go out um, and change the world. Where do they get that, do you think? Parenting yeah. or the previous schools or the teaching? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so there are different studies around this. So um, there was a study in an American law school which found that the best performing students were the hungriest, and they tended to come from less privileged backgrounds. Um, so perhaps in law school, it's about people who, um, well, that study uh, suggested it's about people who um, knew what they needed to get out of their law degree so they can graduate, repay their loans and, uh, yeah. you know, and do something with it. Um, I think in general, it's a complicated mixture of things. I think um, probably if you have self-awareness, that helps. So you know um, why you're there. Because I think oftentimes I've seen students get pushed by parents and sort of has a um, a negative effect on them because expectations are so high, they find it difficult to perform. I've also seen it the other way around where um, there's not enough expectation uh, put on a student and they feel they can coast. So I think probably, yeah, self-awareness, which I increasingly find actually um, students have. I think there's a greater um, you know, search for purpose 
in what they do, and part of that translates into getting the most out of your education, um, having a good uh, balance in your life. I think all of those things, but mm -hmm. I think to me that's probably the thing, being aware of why you're there and what you can get out of it. It's interesting that you see a common link so that they come from less privileged backgrounds, suggesting that there's a fear that's driving them, which perhaps the privileged kids don't have. Yeah, I think there is something there. If you come from a less privileged background, you know you're going to be, well, in that law school study, taking on um, you know six figures worth of debt. You are going to make sure that you are going to deliver um, on, <laughs> in terms of um, you know the money that's been spent on you by your parents, maybe by your relatives, the loans you're taking out. You're going to make sure that you perform. And I think there is something to that. So I think maybe if there was less financial pressure, maybe that... Um, maybe that's part of it, but certainly that study, which is quite a big study, which is why I'm citing it, found that people who did well in law school, the best predictor was whether they were hungry, not their, you know, not their university uh, marks, not, uh, you know, but actually background and being hungry. Um, great amount of satisfaction for you to teach people, particularly those kids that are really driven. Mm. Um, what drives you? Is it just the enjoyment of teaching? Just talking about the teaching side? Mm. Yeah, I think um, I enjoy being um, around. I enjoy, I think, being around uh, people who enjoy what they do. And um, students have this, you know, the world is their oyster feeling about them. Um, even, um, you know, we talked about maybe they have varying motivations, and um, which is normal, I think, in any group. But I think I enjoy being able to explain something so that um, you increase their knowledge. Um, and, um, you know, and so to me, there's a real sort of satisfaction in being part of this process of learning and um, just, yeah, just explaining something and complicated to help it make sense to somebody. I think um, I enjoy that in terms of teaching. I enjoy that in terms of writing. I enjoy sort of making complicated things clear because I think that will, especially in my field, economics, because I think that helps them go away and they can make a better economic decisions, which affects both their own lives, their employment and, you know, their financial planning for their own lives, but also in terms of public policy. So much public policy is around economics, economic analysis, the financing of it. So I feel like I'm contributing to people making more informed decisions by helping explain uh, concepts. And so I think that's probably the part that I most enjoy. Which is why you went into journalism, presumably, yeah. because you're explaining complicated things to people. Um, why did you go back to academia after journalism? Yeah, so I was an academic, and then um, I became a journalist um, exactly for that reason. <laughs> um, instead of explaining to a classroom, I was explaining on air. Um, and I think I've gone back because the mix of doing academia and journalism, so being able to do both is appealing to me because um, I've never had sort of one uh, trajectory. I think had I had... Um, one trajectory, then perhaps I would have a preference for one or the other. But I actually genuinely enjoy both. And I think I enjoy having a mix of things so that every day is not, well, every day is not entirely different, but, you know, different things happen in, on different days. And, um, and I do like that. I think I like the variety. But it is, as you say, it is literally explaining things, which, um, <laughs> which I think in this kind of complicated, um, you know, 
economic environment we have at the moment, uh, where whether it's trade wars or Brexit or you know slowing growth or emerging markets, there's just a lot of really interesting um, economic uh, phenomena around um, to analyze um, and then contribute to the discussions around. Well, there's so much emotion involved these days as well, which there wasn't before, which is where you often get pulled in, isn't it, to give a pragmatic, you know, scientific almost approach mm -hmm. to a story. Yeah, so I think this is really where my academic background um, uh, pushes me to be um, analytical. And I'm naturally quite analytical anyways. I think um, we are dealing with very emotive issues for a lot of people at the moment around different countries have different issues. But, um, you know, academia is around analysis, examination, argument. Um, the Socratic method is literally... Um, arguing different sides of an issue so you can make judgment at the end about where you come out. So I think my natural approach is very analytical and uh, economics also lends itself to being analytical. I mean, not always. There are those who um, are more on one side of the spectrum or another in terms of ideology. But I would say most economists, um, academic economists are very evidence-based and that's essentially where I sit. Um, what is the evidence? Um, how do you interpret it in a way that's consistent with the context, history, and all of that? So it's very analytical and not very emotive. I'm interested in your, the idea that you sort of moved into journalism because you almost fancied it, and then you moved back to academia because you felt like going back to academia. You haven't got this massive sort of career plan. You're sort of going with what interests you, and you're nurturing that interest. Is that a correct observation? Yeah, so I think um, I've been pretty uh, lucky. So I think I said at the um, earlier on that I didn't actually plan to be an academic either. <laughs> um, but um, so I think I have been, I, I mean, I genuinely feel very fortunate that I've been able to uh, pursue interests. I mean, I think um, around my skill set and um, be able to uh, to do that, I think is, is very lucky. So I think I'm probably, I'm very analytical. I um, try to explain things uh, clearly in plain language. It turns out that teaching and broadcasting, those are useful for both of those careers. But, but maybe in the future, something else, you know. But it's interesting that you've discovered that. And rather than set yourself a plan, I want to be, you know, professor at Oxford University, you sort of ended up there uh, because you found a job that suits you and matches your skills. And you learned that over time. But some people who have this plan to be a particular thing, it might not be the right thing for them. Yeah, I think that's the um, that's the challenge of our time, isn't it, for a lot of people, which is, do I have a career path yeah. <laughs> um, or do I sort of, you know, uh, yeah, go with, yeah, go with my, uh, go with my interests. I suppose for a lot of people it must be somewhat middle of the road because you have a general idea. Um, so anything I do, I like to do well. So you have a general idea of what you might be able to do well, because <laughs> obviously it's one thing to follow your interests, but um, if it turns out, you know, you need to be able to dance or something then and you can't dance well it's probably not your career path so I just suspect a lot of people are probably yeah like they have an aim but I think you have to be flexible about it because you just never really know um, how things um, you know how things might pan out and actually what opportunities may lie around the corner because I think that's one of the um, you know other things about life that's to me 
um, you know, kind of fascinating, which is you try to make sure that you are prepared for um, a career in whatever it is. You have the skills, you have the training, you have the ambition, but you can't predict um, what might be around mm -hmm. the corner. So are you, um, are you open, you know, to change? And um, I increasingly think people are. And one of the reasons for it, actually, is because um, there's a book called The Hundred Year Life, which is um, uh, written by two academics, actually. And it, they basically say that um, people who are born now have a 50% chance of living to their 100, so they're healthy. So if you think about having a 60-year career instead of a 40-year career, you're going to have to be more open because you're not going to do the same thing for 60 years. Um, so I chaired their book launch, and <laughs> and actually then they did my book in, in return. And, you know, and I just thought that was um, one of the, um, the fascinating mm. lessons from it because um, – my book looks at successful economists, the greatest economists, and that's essentially how their careers were. So they always knew they were going to do economics, but some of them were finance ministers. Um, all of them did a stint in academia. Uh, some of them were investors. Some of them um, became MPs. And it was just fascinating to me that um, they found their skills could contribute in a wide range of occupations, probably not planned. Um, and, you know, they've made their mark on history. Um, you talked about your students' fears that drive them. Uh, is there a fear that drives you? Is there something you worry about if you don't keep up with your career? Oh, that's a good question. What drives you? Uh, yeah. Um, I think probably uh, wanting to feel like I contributed something. So probably um, I think if I thought that um, I wasn't adding to knowledge or adding clarity to it, I think I might, I would worry that, um, you know, what am I doing kind of, kind of thing. So I think being, yeah, having a purpose to what you do, creating some value, whatever it is. Um, so I think for me, that's probably uh, what drives me. Oh, and enjoying every day, because I think that's actually really important. You have to enjoy what you do. Enjoy the journey. Yeah, you definitely do, actually. I think if you, um, you know, if you wake up every morning and, you know, you're grateful for what you have and you plan on enjoying the day, I think that's a really good gauge of whether you're doing what you should be doing. Um, so being here today, this is great fun. You know, <laughs> I'm enjoying it. And so I think that's that's got to be, um, you know, a big factor in terms of how you um, would want to drive your own career. If you wake up every day going to a job and you dread it, that's probably not a good sign. I think you're scared of being bored as well, does, oh, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, that's a good but point. But does that come from, you know, <laughs> is there anything in your past where you, did you spend a period where you, you thought, I've got to contribute more? I mean, where does it come oh, from, do you think? Yeah. Um, no, I don't mind being bored. <laughs> <laughs> Quite nice, really. Yeah, it is. A bit relaxing, actually. <laughs> but where does that sort of wish to contribute uh, comes from? come from, do you think? Yeah. Where is that instilled? I think that's probably why um, I turned to economics, um, because I think I felt quite early on I didn't really understand the world around me very well. Like, why was it that so few countries are rich and um, so many countries are not? Why is it that within a country you have such wealth disparities? Why is it some regions are booming and others are not? I just literally felt like I didn't really understand the world around me, and so I turned to economics probably for that reason. And I think that's probably still what motivates me, um, trying to understand better the world around us and then explaining it so that 
um, policymakers and business people can make dis better decisions around it by seeing it more clearly. So that's probably, I would say, the motivation um, that I've had in terms of, yeah, and I think I started pretty early because I chose economics, even though it was really hard. There's a lot of maths. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job, and thank you for explaining everything to us. Thanks, Linda. Thank you, Max. You're always so lovely. <laughs>